Okay then, so it's almost seven o'clock. So, um, tonight we'll do something a little different, which was sort of out of my control. Um, there have of course been tons of things going on and you know, destroying the world and stuff, but we're probably all on that page. So if you haven't seen the Nigerian woman doctor from Houston, which I think everybody has seen, um, I'm happy to send it to you because it's pretty powerful. But uh, there's been all sorts of things going on. And, you know, we talked a little bit last week about how it seems like uh, the Democrats, I don't know how else to explain that, have been purposely killing 100,000 people or more because they've been withholding the treatment that would save most people who have COVID. And there are now four or five treatments that have been, that doctors are using all over the country to save all their patients. And that was the Nigerian lady. She runs a clinic in Houston and says she's saved 350 people and had not one death. And there are doctors like that all over the country that say the same thing, either with hydroxychloroquine or that butas say, or, you know, there are a number of different treatments because this coronavirus is not, I mean, it's 78% of SARS. So it's, you know, it's just another coronavirus. We have them. We've had them forever. They're in your body. It's no big thing. And it was Fauci himself, and I have all this printed somewhere if anybody wants any of it. And in 2005, said the best way to treat uh, SARS, which is a coronavirus, it's, you know, 78% identical to the new one, uh, is with chloroquine. That was back before they buffered it to make her, you know, however you explain the difference between chloroquine and hydroxychloroquine, but I guess they just made it easier to tolerate for some people. So it's been, you know, it's, it, it, they've known that forever. And back in March, the CDC came up with that after four studies, you know, you guys know all that stuff. So all that's been going on and everybody, I mean, without exception, I have not met a single person in all of my travels who has not seen that video except for Dan, who doesn't have a smartphone of the Nigerian doctor. Uh, she, she was born in Nigeria, got her medical degree in Nigeria, moved to Houston, runs a clinic for no doubt the poor people. I mean, she didn't say, but I assume. And she was a powerful, powerful spokeswoman. And a senator, not a senator, a congressman, facilitated all this, got these doctors from all over the country. They were on the Capitol Hill steps or something doing, okay, so Everybody in the country has seen it. Everybody in the country is starting to put two and two together that all of these people that died didn't need to die, that they're basically being purposely killed. And it's hard not to see who's behind that. It's easy to put a Democratic face on that. But now all the Republicans, and they've already known. I mean, these guys already knew. What's his name? Trump has been talking about it since March or before that there's cures for this, it's easy to fix. He takes hydroxychloroquine, apparently, to stay safe, but none of them want to talk about it. Even though it was on Fox News, Fox News doesn't talk about it. So it's, it's like kabuki theater. They had this thing today with Fauci and all these other uh, people, and they all know the truth. They've all written about it. Redfern or whatever his name is, I mean, he's as big a killer as anybody. He's the one that runs the CDC and is suppressed and fired. I mean, it's, you know, there are millions of books about it. But anyway, all these people are pretending like the, the, the therapeutics don't exist. 
that there's no, and they said that apparently there's no cure for this. You know, we have to have a vaccine. And that's the whole point is they want to vaccinate you because it's not just a vaccine. Okay. So we already know that. So um, we're, we're going in a little different direction today because of an event that uh, occurred this week, yesterday, day before. Um, but keep all that in mind, you know, that this is apolitical. All of those, it's those people, everybody in Washington, everybody in the upper medical communities, this is just about money. It's only about money. None of them make any money if you can cure this quickly and easily and inexpensively. It's all about the vaccine. It's all about control. And everybody knows it. And Republican, Democrat, whatever, it doesn't matter. They're all knee deep in it. And it, you know, the kabuki theater is to make us pit one against another. Like, oh, the Republicans are doing this. Oh, the Democrats are doing it. They're both doing it. You know, don't think for a second that there's not some higher group that's pulling all the strings and all this stuff. But all right, we've talked about that. So one of the things that uh, has uh, been difficult or awkward for me, and I think maybe for some of you who are as mouthy as I am, I've been shocked by the people, the professing Christians who are unconcerned about all that. And, and concern is not the right word. There's, there's really no concern in my life. What's the worst thing that can happen? You know, the rapture comes, right? So it's, it's not, I'm not worried about it. I'm not concerned about it, but it's, it's happening. And I don't, you know, there, there are so many Christians that are just, well, you know, whatever. It's okay. And it's like, you know, we we're talking about Mike two weeks ago who said, no, no, it's, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not really worth looking into any of it because I'm going anyway. You know, what difference will it make? And, and he said, you know, if you remember, he said, you've got to have your priorities straight. And I thought, okay, maybe. And, you know, it could be that I'm totally wrong on this. It could be. But remember, out of the, the, the well, there's 14, but out of the 12 tribes of Israel, there's actually 14, there was only one tribe, the tribe of Issachar, that... Uh, and it says in First Chronicles twelve thirteen, and the children of Issachar, which were the men that had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do, the heads of them were 200 and all their brethren were at their command. So there's this one tribe out of the 14 and they studied the word of God. They knew what, and, and they, they applied it to their time and they wanted to know what God wanted them to do. So this is one tribe out of 14. And the other tribes, and we get this in Exodus and other places, would support them. They would grow food and, you know, everything that the, these people should be doing to support themselves. They instead dedicated all their time and efforts and energies to the word of God. And it says they were the ones that had, you know, men of understanding of the times. And so the other people thought that was valuable enough that they supported them. <clears throat> so... When when I get, I guess, irritated is as good a word as any, at the apparent non-interest by most Christians and certainly most pastors and most churches in these things that are going on that seem, well, A, they seem to be criminal. They're beyond, they're beyond criminal. It's, I mean, there's, there's no way you can even explain a heart that would do that. But it's all of them. 
and they don't think that's a problem. In this one world government that the Bible talks about and this totalitarian regime that's coming and the times when, I, can, I should have looked up the verse, but you know, hundreds of denarius to buy a, 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 a loaf of bread, you know, super inflation, those times are all coming. And so many people are just not interested. <laughs> They're just, you know, it's okay, I'm going, I'm good. I know God, we're, we're all set. And I hope that that's the case. But um, well, let me just, we had a friend staying with us that somebody met, Tim, the food guy. He comes and stays with us every five weeks for a couple of days. And on his way up, he uh, was having an issue with one of his tires. And Nedra calls it the plague of tires because it's got to be a book in, in Revelation. Because I have had, I mean, like, I, I've had more tire issues in the last six months than I've had in my 63 years. I never, I, I mean, who even carries a spare? You never have a flat. Sometimes a tire will go down and you just pump it up. You know, it's never. Okay, so he's coming up and he's involved now in the plague of the tires. So he's got a tire that's going down. And um, so that's how we got started on all this. And Tim has been a Christian for, I don't know, maybe forever. I don't know. Uh, big time Christian, loves the Lord. Uh, and he's as frustrated with the American church as I think anybody in this room is. So we have lots in common, <laughs> to say the least. And uh, he had this flat tire. So he, he, he's coming up here, notices the flat tire, uh, puts air on it, drives around to some of his appointments, notices, you know, keeps an eye on it, notices it's, it's going flat again. So about five o'clock, he's uh, decided that he needs to get uh, you know, he needs to get a tire, the tire fixed. He needs to get it patched or whatever. Well, of course, five o'clock in Happy Valley, there's nobody, you know, everybody's been long gone. So he was unable to find somebody to fix the tire. He just foolishly thought he could drive to, you know, the 24-hour Walmart Supercenter and they'd have 15 guys jump out and deal with it. And that's just not how it works here. <laughs> so he's now in Avon, five o'clock in the evening, his tire's going down. So he puts air in it, you know, and calls and I said, well, just come on down. I've got, you know, 1,800 tires that'll fit. I mean, it's no big deal. So he airs it up and comes on down. Um, and we had a lovely vegan meal, which I think we're finally done with the whole vegan thing. Although it wasn't bad. There was some good meals. Um, and then we went out and we changed his tire. Because, of course, you know, I have a, you know, floor jack. Because we change rotate tires and, you know. So... Jacked his truck up, pulled the spare down, swapped the tire. No big deal. Um, so you can well imagine how the evening went. We came in after that, sat down, we were talking. What do I talk about? You guys know what I talk about. All of the stuff that's going on, right? Have you heard about that? Are you following? Do you know? You know, all this stuff. And he's, uh, you know, I mean, he's a, he's a good guy and he's, he's a friend and he's, you know, gentlemanly enough to show some interest, <laughs> but it, he wasn't, you know, it was, you can tell, I mean, they're not, you know, that interested. So we were talking about that and he says, well, you know, and of course this is absolutely true. And I'm sure it's true in all of our lives. The Lord has always taken care of me and we can, you know, there's probably not a person in this room that can't recount three or four three ring binders full of how the Lord has watched over and taken care of and guarded and protect and taught. And, you know, he's active in our lives. He takes an active interest in our lives. 
And he says, the Lord's always taking care of me up to this point, and he's going to take care of it, you know, until the end. I'm just not, you know, I've got other things to deal with. So, okay. And I'm thinking, I'm sitting right there where Michael is, and I'm thinking to myself, because I'm not as gentlemanly as he is, well, that's funny that he trusts the Lord to take care of everything except his tire. He's the one that noticed the tire. He's the one that put the air in. He's the one that searched out the place to fix it. He's the one that re-aired it, and he and I changed it. And then in the morning, he took it to a tire shop to have it fixed. And yet he sat right there and told me that the Lord always takes care of it. And I get it. That's not maybe apples for apples. But I just, it was making this comparison in my mind. And I started to think about, uh, well, exactly where is that line? Because on the big stuff, where we have no control, it's easy to say, well, the, the Lord will take care of me, because he has to. There's nothing I can do about the stuff that's going on in the world, or you know, Antifa, or Black Lives Matter, or the UN, or the technocrats, or the artificial intelligence that might be running all of it. I don't know. I can't do anything about Satan. I, you know, that's past. I have to rely on the Lord for that. But when I get something like a tire, which I've had 1,800 of in the last few months, I, can, I, can, I have to deal with it because I don't really expect the Lord to come lift my truck up and spin the lug nuts off and change it while I'm sitting in the air-conditioned cab. That seems not right. But where's that line? At, at what point does it go from, I trust the Lord to take care of all things, to I got to do this myself? And I started thinking about that and how, how, how does that work? And I was thinking about it in the sense of, uh, you know, th this idea that so many Christians don't really, I mean, it's not that they don't care. They're just not interested. They're, you know, they're rooting for it and maybe have a rapture banner on their bedroom door. And, but they're not, you know, when it happens, they're great. We'll go. And up until that, everything's cool and we'll stay. And it, I don't see it that way. I mean, I see all of this stuff coming and all of these disasters about to happen. And I see all these people that are, I mean, literally being killed, being murdered just to make one guy look bad so they can regain power. And it's so screwed up. It, it get, you know, <laughs> I get mad and so many people don't really care. And I don't know if they don't see it. They don't think about it. They realize there's nothing they can do about it. It's not affecting them direct. I don't know what the deal is. So that's how we, we got to, um, that's how I got to where I was when I think it was the Lord who was talking to me. And that's what the Bible study will be about. So I'm thinking, I'm laying in bed that night thinking, well, maybe I am making too big a deal about this. You know, th there really is nothing I can do. And maybe I just need to go back to, you know, just talking about fun stuff and just wait and see what happens. Because I will go, hopefully. And if stuff bad, bad happens, then the Lord's going to have to deal with it. So it's, it's, do you remember the, when Elon Omar, the Muslim congresswoman talking about 9-11, she said, 
some people did some things, right? Some people did some things. And it's kind of like that when I'm talking to most Christians about the end. And it's sort of that same, well, some people will do some things. Stuff's going to happen, you know. So I'm, I'm, I'm talking along. And as I'm listening to, to Tim, and again, he's, he's, he's too gentlemanly to say this to my face, but I know what he was saying. He was saying, I have a lack of faith and he has more faith than me because I'm all worried about this. I'm thinking about it and doing stuff about it. And that just shows my lack of faith. And he has enough faith not to worry about it. So that was, uh, all of a sudden I understood why I think most Christians aren't, aren't too worked up about it. Because they, they think that by being worked up about stuff like that, by trying to get out and air up your own tire and, and change it and, and fix it yourself, that shows a lack of faith. And they don't want to be seen with a lack of faith. It's easier and spiritually better just to say, well, God's going to take care of it, which he is. I mean, there's no question that that's correct. God is going to take care of it. And we are along for the ride in some sense. But go back to Issachar. There's a group of people that they spent their days and nights seeing what God was going to do that day. But it was one group out of 14. It's not everybody. And everybody else gleaned what they wanted to glean off of it. And I think that's the way it is here today. Most churches don't care. Well, again, that's not right. It's not that they don't care, but they're not that interested. There's stuff going on and you know, occasionally something will pop up and they'll mention it and then it's never mentioned again. But I think it's because they think it's, it shows a lack of faith to be concerned about it and, to, and, and to, try, to try to do things about it. So, you know, and I've run into this, I bet most of you have too, that pagans, people who don't know the Lord, I don't know if pagan is the right word, um, seem more interested in this than most Christians do. Because to them, it's new. And we're talking about stuff that's happening today, real stuff that's going on. And they, they, they do get interested. So all this is in my head. And I'm thinking, gosh, maybe I am um, just making too big a deal out of it. And maybe, you know, it does show a lack of faith. Because I should be trusting the Lord more to you know, to work it out. Cause it's, it's way over my pay grade. There isn't much I can do about it. So I'm in bed thinking about all this stuff and all these things start popping into my mind. I mean, like <laughs> it's, it's like one of those flip decks, you know, where you flip all the cards and the little dog runs, or, you know, there's all these things. So at two in the morning, I finally get up because there's so much of this stuff and I go up to my computer and I just start typing notes, you know, things that I'm getting or seeing, or I don't even know how to explain it, just verses. And of course, I don't know the addresses, but I'm getting the picture. So I'm like, just making a little note of, of what it is. And then I'll come back and find it later. And there, there's, it's just coming like a movie. So, so for three and a half hours, I'm up there, just writing stuff. And I'm not even really sure what I'm writing. I mean, it's, it's making sense. But it's, 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 I, you know, it's not my normal MO to do stuff like that. So 
uh, 5.30, I come back to bed. So this is some of those things that I think, and I'm hoping that this was the Lord answering the questions I have about, am I making too big a deal out of it? Is it, should I just, you know, should I just go back to doing Bible stuff, you know? Um, so Matthew 25, starting in verse 14, and it says, For the kingdom of heaven is as a man, and in Luke it says nobleman, traveling into a far country, and in Luke it says to receive himself a kingdom, who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And to one he gave five talents, and to another two, and to another one, and every man according to his several ability, and straightway he took his journey. And the, he that had received five talents went and traded with the same and made them five other talents. And likewise, he that received two also gained another two. But he that received one digged the earth and hid the Lord's money. And after a long time, the Lord of those servants comes and reckons with them. And so he had the, uh, so that he that had the five, received the five talents came and brought over the other five talents saying, Lord, you have delivered me unto five talents, and behold, I have gained besides them five talents more. And the Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. And he also that received two talents came to him and said, Lord, thou delivered me two talents, and behold, I have gained two other talents beside them. And the Lord said unto him, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things, and I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Then he that had received one talent came and said, Lord, I knew that thou art a hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown, and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid, and I went and hid the talent in the earth. And lo, there, ha there here it is. Here's your, here's your talent back. And the Lord answered unto him and said, Thou wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reaped where I sowed not, and I gathered where I have not strawed. Thou ought to at least have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received my own back with usury. Therefore take the talent from him and give it to him which has ten talents. For every one that shall be given, he shall have abundance. But from him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he has. And cast ye the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness, where there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. We all know this account. It's in several of the Gospels. And what's, what's the deal? You know, these guys are making money, they're making profit, they're taking the talents and abilities and wealth of the master, and they're doing stuff with it. They're making, uh, making him more money. Now, they didn't get any of the profits. These were things, uh, the money that they made enlarged the master's holdings, so that the master could do what he wanted with them. But the guy who, who, who didn't use his talents it didn't end up so well for him. So I'm thinking, okay, that's, that's a pretty clear picture. You know, we've all been given talents, abilities, I mean, wealth and, you know, the various degrees, we all have stuff and we all have abilities and we all have, we're all different, but we all have these talents that it talks about. So there's, there's a group of us that, um, you know, not an affiliated group, but friend friend of mine and 
uh, North Dakota and, you know, some other guys, different places in the country. Um, some of them Christian, some of them not, but we all see what's coming. And among the things that are coming is going to be a huge financial collapse. You know, the, the economy is going to be destroyed worse than it is now. Um, I think wealth will be taken away. The, you know, the fiat currency is about to be gotten rid of. So a lot of people are considering, well, what do we do with the things that the Lord has given us? I mean, how do we preserve or protect or build even in, in these coming times the, the things, the talents that the Lord has put us in charge of? And we all admit they're not ours, our house and our bank account and whatever's in our safe. And those were given to us by the Lord. And, and I don't think there's anybody in this room or pretty much anybody in any church that would say that it's theirs. It's not God's. But the question then is, what do you do with it? I mean, why, why would he give it to you? And you can, you know, you can check your own safe or bank account or whatever. And if we were raptured tomorrow and we leave all that stuff, what, what have we done with it? Are we closer to the guy who made five talents for the master? Or are we closer to the guy who buried it and waited for his return? Right, exactly. I would say the same thing. He gives us this stuff to enlarge his kingdom, yeah. not ours, his. So, and that's, that's the question we're I'm talking about with these guys. And again, some are Christian, some are not. But Christian or not, we see what's coming. So if you're not a Christian, your priority is different, but it's the same thing. What do you do with what you have? Because like in Sicily, they just went through arbitrarily. I mean, this was years ago. And I forget the dollar amount, but I think it was $50,000. If you had more than $50,000, you know, cumulative wealth, they took it. They left everybody with, or at least those who had more than that, they left them with $50,000. And they said, well, the country's bankrupt. We need your money to pay the bills. So they took it. You don't think that'll happen here? I mean, look, no, that was recently. I mean, like five years ago, recently, it was, oh, well, yeah, maybe in World War One or two, they, yeah, maybe, yeah. So it's not, it's, you know, that's not without precedent. And then if they get rid of dollars, you know, money, actual greenbacks, fiat currency, what are they going to replace it with? And the way the laws are now, if you take more than $10,000 to the bank, you have to prove where he got it. I mean, in cash, how do you, how do you, how do you prove where he got cash? You know, because the government takes it and assumes you got it illegally until you can prove. Okay. So if you, if you've got a bunch of cash, if you have all kinds of retirement, if you, you know, it doesn't matter what you have recognize that somebody's coming for it. And what do you do? What's the best thing to do? And of course you ask 50 people that question, you get 50 different answers. So that's the purpose of this group of guys is to try to find out, you know, what would be the best. So the Christians in the group were thinking what you're thinking. It's not our money. So it really doesn't matter in that sense, but it's his money and he gave it to us for a reason. So one of the things we're considering is, well, do we buy food? Do we buy 
ammunition. I mean, mostly for hunting, but may, maybe for more. Um, do we buy water purifiers? You know, I mean, what do you buy that if everything goes as far south as you can possibly imagine that you could use to A, barter and B, help certainly your family and friends and, you know, people who are not wise enough maybe to look ahead and see what's coming. So that's one of the big things is you take all this money and you buy stuff that could be, and if we get raptured, it will still be useful to your friends and neighbors. And there, you know, there are neighbors that I've had this discussion with. It's like, Keith, buddy, if we're gone for like three days and you don't see us and we haven't told you we're on vacation, come get the dog and I'm going to leave you an envelope. And I told him exactly where I was going to put it. I was going to hot glue it to this particular piece of furniture in the garage. And he has my garage code. And it'll give you the key or the code to tell you, give you the map to find the safe and the code to get in it. And you know, whatever's, you know, use what you need. If we have food or money or, you know, gold or guns or whatever it is, we won't be needing it if we're gone. We'll be needing it until we're gone. But it's just, and I call it my, the letter to my sister, you know, explaining what happened, where, why, why he is now in possession of this stuff, where we went and how he can get there. So that's sort of my last ditch, you know, ditch effort for witnessing. But again, how do we best use what the Lord has given us? Um, okay, so there are so many things popping into my head that I can't possibly uh, tell you, but, but this, is, this is one. Matthew 9, 37, 38. And the Lord said to his disciples, the harvest is truly plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore for the Lord of the harvest that we will send that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. You know, he's talking about the end times for sure. And if you read the context, he's talking about a harvest at not a harvest time. That suddenly everything has, that the heads of grain have, have become white, but it's not at the normal time you would harvest them. So that's why the laborers are few. They're busy doing other things, right? And you think that through and it's like, well, we're busy doing other things. Would we even notice if, if the harvest was plentiful right now? And, and again, I would say most Christians are not, they're not ready. They're not looking. They're not asking those questions. But it, but it is plentiful. There are people out there that are starting to pay attention and they are starting to panic. And they need or can use, um, they could use somebody to explain to them what's going on and why it'll be okay and maybe maybe a possible response or two. I mean, how, how do you, cause it's, everybody asks the same question. What should I do? Well, that's really kind of between you and the Lord, but I maybe give you some guidelines. Um, Acts one verses six through eight. It says, when they therefore were come together, they asked of him saying, Lord, will thou at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons, which the father has put into his own power, but ye shall receive the power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me in both Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and all to the outermost parts of the world. And there are a lot of people today that throw this in my face that, oh, nobody knows the day or the hour. Well, they didn't need to know the day or the hour because they were 2000 years plus away from the day and the hour. There was no point in them knowing, none of them were gonna be alive. Um, Tim reminded me last night of 
one of the original Saturday Night Live things. John Belushi was the guy who controlled the, the nuclear reactor and he was retiring. He'd run it for 20 years and he's retiring. And what are your last words? Well, you can never t put too much water in the reactor. And so then you see Garrett Morris running over. Oh, I'm going to put more water. No, 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 that's not what he said. And they, you know, argue back and forth. And then you see, you know, Garrett Morris like glowing green and all blown up and because he put too much water in the reactor. Belushi just says you can never put too much water in the reactor. And he thought, he said, of course, you can never put too much water in the reactor when he said you can never put too much water in the reactor, right? Or it's that book, you know, Eats, Shoots, and Leaves. So is it a book about the mafia or is it a book about pandas? Because it depends on where you put the commas, right? You know, so it wasn't necessary for those guys to know. But Daniel would tell you, as that day draws closer, those of us that are here, we will have increased knowledge of the things that happen. We are supposed to know. We're supposed to be paying attention. And how many times have you read, um, you know, like, listen up, idiot, you know, things like that in scripture where you need to pay attention. It didn't matter to them. God, they would benefit nothing by God telling them the day and the hour because they would be dead. They would be dead for 2,000 years. They would be dead. There was no point. Yes, yes, know the signs, exactly. Right. And and it yeah, and that and that's the whole purpose of what we've been talking about is we're looking at these things that the book of Revelation says happen before the rapture. So, I mean, after, we've looked at the ones before, now we're looking at things that happen after. So if these things happen after and we're still here, then, you know, do the math. We're leaving soon. So that's the kind of things, you know, like you're talking about in Daniel. And um, I think it's, I do, I do not believe that the Lord is concealing that from us. He says he will never do anything without telling his, his prophets, his people, his servants in advance. They didn't need to know 2,000 years ago. So we can read that like um, you can never put too much water in the reactor. Or we can read it like you can never put too much. You know, it's, it doesn't matter to them. It matters to us. So it says, and this, this is, we, we could spend weeks on this. Uh, maybe someday we will. Uh, you shall be my witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and Judea and in Samaria and the outermost parts of the earth. So we read that as, okay, we know where Jerusalem is. Jerusalem is in Judea, and Samaria is right next to it, and then the rest of the world, right? So Samaria, Judah, and Jerusalem all are populated with Hebrews. And the, the ones who lived in Judea and Jerusalem did not necessarily consider Samaria Samaritans to be real Hebrews. They were this sort of offshoot, you know, renegade. And you remember the Samaritan woman at the well and Jesus. Okay. So he didn't consider them that way. Right. But so anyway, it's talking mostly about Hebrews and the rest of the world. Samaria is an interesting word. It's from Shamar. And we know Shamar. It means to protect, to guard, that's the thing that we are supposed to do. Keep. It's translated often in King James as keep. Uh, we're supposed to guard the word, the Torah. 
we're supposed to keep it, protect it, guard it. That's this word shamar that is uh, Samaria. Jerusalem, we talked about a bunch, is from Yarah because it's not Jerusalem, it's Yerushalayim, uh, which we get the word Torah. Yarah is to throw or to throw a finger in the direction you should walk. You know, it's around the barn and the big rock you turn right and then at the oak tree you turn left. And, you know, that's the meaning of that word. You're throwing a finger in the direction you should walk. It's how you walk. It's, the, it's where we get the word Torah. And the word shalom, which um, <laughs> there are grapes rolling all over the floor. <laughs> they, <laughs> I feel like I'm some Egyptian pharaoh, you know, where they've got the fans going and the grapes roll by. Okay, so Yerah Shalom, Jerusalem. And Shalom, uh, it, it, obviously it means, you know, Shalom is peace. Shalom is safety. Uh, it means dual, which is interesting because Jerusalem sits on two hills. It means founded peacefully, flow as water, shoot an arrow, uh, cast, direct, inform, instruct, show, teach, all that stuff. So you put Yerah and Shalom together, you get Yerushalam. And it's sort of a picture of the intent of the Bible in its entirety. It's, if, you, if you had to describe all of the commandments and instructions and statutes of the Lord, the entire purpose of the Bible, you could use the word Jerusalem because that's the idea. So you're going to this, this um, uh, Samaria, which I guess I forgot to mention this. It means a watchtower. It's this word shamar, which is to guard and protect, but it's the word for a watchtower. So the watchtower and then uh, Jerusalem, which is this idea of, uh, you know, the entire intent of the Bible. Judah is from, it's not Judah, it's Judah, which is from Yad, which is the word for hand. It's the word for worship, to know, to celebrate, to confess, to give thanks, to praise, thanksgiving, to revere. It's translated in all those ways. So just in the action of, or the, 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 the sentence of him saying, um, Samaria, Jerusalem, and Judah, he's saying, you know, it's a watch station for God's teachings and peace where we celebrate and praise God. So it's, 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 that's the picture that is being shot to the outermost parts of the world. And we've learned in the, in the past that uh, when we send people, sometimes we get this, well, a lot of times we get this verse wrong. We're, you know, we think we're supposed to send people all over the world to share the gospel of the Lord. And that's, True, certainly, but how do you share it? And it, it, scripture tells you you share it by living it. You know, you go somewhere and the people see how you act and how you think and what you do and how you treat them. And that is something that they're drawn to. And the Lord talks about that with the people in the Exodus. If you remember, we went through this for a year or more. Um, and he would say, okay, for these people, for the Ammonites, for the um, Moabites, for whoever it is, you do not set one sandal on their property because I'm not dealing with them yet. We'll be dealing with them later. But for now, I want them to see you and see how you live. And I want them to want to live that way. That's your job, to make those people jealous of me or for me in the way that you live. You do not and, you know, and it would come when their iniquity was filled, maybe 400 years later, when that instruction changed. Okay, they've had their opportunity. They didn't do it. Go in and we need to get rid of them. 
But for now, with those people, I want you to live your life and let them see. Other people, he said, yeah, let's just, you know, they got to go. But sometimes he has us just live, just live. Yeah, be a light in the world. Exactly. And not that I'm a big Catholic fan, but that was St. Francis of Assisi's uh, famous line was, you know, uh, uh, like, teach the gospel wherever you go and use words if you have to. You know, it's in your actions. It's in your, it's, it's in you. It's just the way that we live. And we've talked about, you know, the, the loads falling off the camels and you go and help your neighbor, even if you're having a dispute with him and, you know, all, all the ways that you should act and be and the things that should be in your soul should be attractive to the people who don't know the Lord. That's our job. So when we go to certainly to, and it's interesting in Hebrew, the way it starts, Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. It's, it's those people that sets up this watch station for God's teaching and to celebrate and praise. That's what we're taking to the world. And that's, you know, and sometimes we get that messed up and we take programs and booklets and, you know, stuff, which is useful, but that's not, that's not us. He's sending us to do those things. So what, what did they take with them? You know, nothing. They were to rely on the goodness of the people and God. And it goes back to God says, you know, go and don't take anything. No script, no extra clothes, no extra sandals. You go. So there's two things that happen there. One is the people who go have to be serious about going. They have to be serious about the Lord. And two, they have, they have to trust the Lord. And that's what I think Tim was talking about is that kind of you have to trust the Lord. But when there's a, an opportunity to do something, to fix the tire, to inflate it, to change it, to, you know, then we need to do it. Chuck Smith always used to say, you can't just lie in bed and say, if God wants me to eat, he'll bring hamburgers. You know, you have to get your, and he used to say, get your sorry butt out of bed and go get the hamburger. Now he will provide you the ability to get the hamburger, but you need to do it. You know, there's a part that we have to play. So as we're considering all of the stuff that's going on in the world and what is our part to play. So uh, one of the other things that uh, came into my mind is this, uh, there's two good sections and you should read Ezekiel three on your own. Uh, I'm going to read Ezekiel 33, one through six. And again, the Lord came unto me saying, son of man, speak unto thy children of thy people and say unto them, when I bring a sword upon the land, if the people in the land take a man of their coast and set them for their watchmen, if when he seeth the sword come upon the land, he blow the trumpet and warn the people, then whoever so heareth the sound of the trumpet and take not warning, if the sword come and take him away, the blood shall be upon his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet and took not warning, his blood shall be upon him, but he that take warning shall deliver his own soul. But if the watchmen see the sword coming and blow not the trumpet and the people not be warned, and if the sword come and take any person from among them, it is taken away at his inequity, but his blood I will require at the watchman's hands. Somebody has to be looking. The tribe of Issachar spent their entire time looking and learning and teaching. The watchmen on the wall, that's their job is they're looking and they're watching and they're saving the people. The people don't care. They're not the ones up there watching, but they should know that when the watchman says something, they need to believe it. 
They need to act. They need to change what they're doing. They need to pick up their sword. They need to get their mind different. They need to get into the battle mode, you know, because that was the purpose of the trumpet. When the watchman blew it and it was a particular sound, A, they had to know which sound was which. You know, if he's blowing it because the lunch wagon has arrived and you think it's, it's, you know, the battle is coming and you grab a sword and start slicing people up, that's bad. But if you, you know, if you hear what he says, it's coming. You need to get your sword. You need to get ready. There's, there's, there's a problem coming. And I would suggest to you that, uh, well, I don't know about you. I'm suggesting to me, because this is sort of answering my question. Um, why aren't most Christians interested? <laughs> because most Christians don't have to be interested. There is a small group of people that God appoints to do just that. That's how they're wired. And I kind of think that's how I'm wired. I've always been, I want to know this stuff. And most people don't. And they're utterly bored with what I say. And I, you know, for a long time have I guess taken that personally, because it's so interesting to me, it's impossible for me to figure out why they're not interested. But most people aren't interested. There's one watchman, or, you know, depends on how big your city is. There's one group of people, you know, but they came to the Issachar, they came to the tribe, and they wanted to know what they found. They didn't want to do the research. They didn't, maybe didn't have that talent or ability. Maybe their talent was you know, husbandry or growing corn or, and maybe the people from Issachar didn't know a cat from a camel. I don't know. You know, it, God works everything out perfectly. So that group was supposed to do that and give that information to the rest. You've got these watchmen on the wall. That's their job is to watch, is to determine if this thing coming is, you know, is the lunch wagon or if it's uh, the Egyptians. Yeah, there you go. Exactly. One with by land, two with by sea. <laughs> the Paul Reverb version, yeah. So, I mean, to me, it's, it's, it's answering this question of why aren't these, why, why isn't everybody as, as excited about this as I am? And it's, I, it, it's never been that way. It's not even supposed to be that way. I have this particular desire and interest and ability, but there are, you know, I couldn't do worship. If, if, if our salvation was dependent on my worship, everybody in this room is selling frozen pizzas in hell. I mean, it's, there is no possibility that that's going to happen. There are so few things that I'm good at and enjoy doing. Well, this is it. But it's no coincidence that he gave me this to do, and I haven't been smart enough to this point to realize that he didn't give that to most people. They're just not that interested in it. They're perfectly happy at a regular church service, knowing that God loves them and there's brownies afterwards. And that's fine, because whatever they do for the Lord, they do, and I probably couldn't do. So, uh, you know, I mean, this, and maybe this whole thing, I'm sure this whole thing is for me, because you're getting like almost none of it. Um, okay, let's go to Mark. Yep. You've been steeped in this stuff for decades. Yeah. And, and so every time stuff happens in the world that brings us up in your mind, each time you get a little more encouraged, 
you learn a little more about what's going on. You learn a little bit more about what God said. And and that just yeah, just, just fires it up more. Yeah. yeah. Some of us could be at different stages. Sure. Like an earlier stage with you, so to speak. Right. Or because most of you probably have different interests in their you know, and maybe they're excited, yeah. as excited as I am about what it is the Lord has given them to do. I mean, I hope they are. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I am starting to get that and taking it a little less personally now. Um, <laughs> but, but it's still, if, if I'm the watchman or if I'm from Issachar, that's my job is to say something. And it doesn't, you know, it's, it's clear not everyone will agree. Some people will hear the warning. No big deal. I don't believe the guy. It's not going to happen. Fine. Then the blood's on their own head. I don't want it to be on my hand. I want to say what I know to be true. And you guys need to do with it what you want. And I would assume that most of you that are here probably think similarly to me, but you are going to be out and about with a different, you know, a different group of people talking about hopefully some of this stuff being watchmen or Issachar to them and just alerting them that, you know, stuff's happening and getting them to think this through. And I've had this happen a number of times. I mention stuff and people are like, huh, so where are we going for lunch? And then a couple of days later, it's like, hey, you know, you said, uh, and then, well, what should I be doing? You know, so they've been thinking it through and hopefully God's been working on them. And, you know, and, that, and that's, uh, and if any of you are interested in what we find about, about what to do with your wealth, because we're angling towards the whole, cryptocurrency thing, because that's where everything's going. And one of the big advantages of, of the apolitical uh, crap that's going on, how, how <clears throat> you know, I mean, it's, it's unbelievable what's going on. They're trying to destroy the economy and kill people and get rid of the flat, uh, uh, fiat currency. And, you know, so this is great for gold, silver, crypto. I mean, these things are going sky high. And there are people making hundreds of millions of dollars. So, I mean, gold is up to $2,000. A few months ago, it was $1,300. Silver's almost 25 bucks. It was $16. Crypto, some of these cryptos have gone up seven, eight 8,000%. Because the worse the world gets, the more those are going to go up. Because those are the only things that are going to have any value. So, the idea then is, I mean, obviously, you can build wealth. But for what? We're not interested in building wealth necessarily we're interested in providing for people who and we don't even know what that looks like you know what what would you need we're just guessing at what you would need but you can't do any of it if it's buried in the backyard you can't do any of it if you keep it in cash because cash is going away so you know that's that's what we're thinking okay mark 4 the parable of the sower you guys all know this hearken and behold there went out a sower to sow you have to love King James. And it came to pass as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and the fowls of the air came and devoured it up. And some fell, some fell on stony ground, where it had not much earth, and immediately sprang up. But because it had no depth of earth when the sun was up, or the tribulation was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. Some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no fruit. Others fell on good ground and did yield the fruit that sprang up and increased and brought forth some 30, some 60, some a hundredfold. And he said unto them, he that has ears, let him hear. 
so you all know this story. We've all sat through this message 20 times. We used to have a pastor that would bring up pots, you know, on stage so we could get the visual of what they're talking about here. Um, some Christians bloom and they're great and they're awesome. And then they just fade away. You know, you just, you never know what happens to them. Um, some continue to grow, but they're strangled by the cares of the world, the thorns and thistles, and they can't seem to make any headway or become in any way useful to the Lord. Some just absolutely don't want to hear it. You know, the seed is gobbled up by Satan, the birds. And then there are others that uh, takes root and gives strong profit. And there's no difference. The sower sowed, right? The, the, the word was the same. The seed was the same. The guy was the same. It, it all went out. And everybody is going to be one of these. So we're talking to people that maybe have just bloomed, and but they have no root. And in, in this parable makes it seem like uh, these things spring up, you know, overnight almost, and then the sun comes up and kills them. And I would suggest that that's just a picture. That's not how it happens. It takes time. These people, you know, we, and we've all known them. Maybe we've been them at some point. You know, have heard the word and been very excited and blossomed and got involved in ministries. And, and then you just don't see them anymore. So, of course, those people wouldn't be interested because it's, it's not real for them. And then there's the people who... <laughs> Um, you know, they grow and they, and they stay with the Lord long-term and they seem to, you know, they're always there and they're, but they never seem to learn anything. It's like the cares of, it's the, it's the guy that every week he's up in front for prayer because his life's falling apart. I mean, every week, come on, you know, it's the cares of the world are more important to him than the things of the Lord. And we've all known, and you know, and again, maybe we've been these people at some point. And so, and, and, I, and I guess that's why I got this. I'm not, you know, I get all these pictures, and this is not my normal MO, by the way. All of these, uh, you know, word pictures or even visual pictures of these things. And I know it's a verse. I don't know where the verse is. So I'm scribbling down just things that will lead me to verse so I can find it. And there's not an explanation. It's like, okay. What's this got to do? And maybe it's the answer to my question is why aren't people interested? Well, because three quarters of them, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Their, their walk is not, they are not the ones growing with 30, 60, a hundred fold fruit. So it doesn't matter to them. Maybe that's the case. I mean, I don't, I don't know. Um, but Jesus said that those who do understand, and this is in uh, Matthew 13, are those who understand the mysteries of the kingdom. And in the context of what he was saying, it's all of these parables. And he said, you know, the disciples came and said, why, why do you speak to these rabble in parables? Well, to you, it's been given to understand these mysteries, but to them, it is not. So you're, 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 or I might be saying, hopefully you're saying, talking about the things that are happening and what the Bible says. And look, it's describing this perfectly. And all you're getting is yawns because these people have no idea what you're talking about. There's, it's, it's, they don't understand the mysteries of the kingdom of God at all. So don't take it personally, I guess. You know, to, you're planting a seed. 
in those people's lives, just like Jesus did when he was giving them the parables. They didn't know. Maybe some, hopefully some would come and did come, and some will join in the harvest. But it's not for you to know. If you're the seed planter, you're not going to be the waterer, and you're not going to be the harvester. If you're the harvester, somebody else has already planted the seed and watered it and done all this stuff and probably left thinking, those guys are never going to get it. When in fact, many do. The seed grows long after the planter, the sower is gone. So, and, I, and again, I think this is all for me, so you guys get stuck hearing it. Throw the seed out there. Throw it everywhere. And don't be so wigged out when there's no apparent reaction. You know, because only some are going to get the immediate reaction. And no matter what, you're not going to be the guy harvesting it. It's going to be somebody else. So your job is to plant the seed, or to cast the seed. Your job might be the one to water the seed. And you might be one of the fortunate ones who gets to harvest some seeds. And we've all been in all those spots before. Um, okay, Matthew 13, starting in verse 30. Um, we good? No? Did I go out of order? Oh, yeah, I forgot to change that. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I probably wrote it as 24, 24 to 30. Okay, well, it's actually, okay, I'll just read it. Matthew 13, verse 24 through 30. It says, another parable he put forth unto them, saying, the kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man that sowed good seed in his field. But while the men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, also the tares appeared, or then the tares appeared also. So the servants of the householder came up and said unto him, Sir, did you not plant good seed in your field? From whence hath it tares? And he said unto them, An enemy has done this to me. The servant said, Wilt thou then that we go out and gather them up? And he said, Nay, lest when you gather up the tares, you root up the wheat with them. Let them both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares, and then bind them in bundles to burn them, but then gather the wheat into my barn. So the, uh, you know, the wheat and tares grow together. They look the same. And I've seen the picture of, you know, I'm not, I'm not a farmer. I can't tell the difference. But they look the same to me. It's until, it's until that time when the wheat heads turn white, the tares don't, apparently, that you can tell the difference. But throughout the whole deal, you can't really tell. I mean, they sort of knew, but it's hard to tell. So you have to wait until this time of the harvest. And I thought um, that both the wheat and the tares grow in the field of the master. And he knows it. And he knows how they got there. And he lets them both grow. He doesn't immediately go out and rip them up. And, you know, and then, and this is one of those verses that, uh, you know, you don't want to be the one that's taken. <laughs> because the, often in scripture, the person who's taken or the, the picture of the, the thing that's taken, they're taken exactly like this. They're taken and bundled and burned. Because these are the things that are not good. So the whole Left Behind series and stuff where we're taken and, you know, that, I mean, you know, tread lightly on that because the Bible is clear that we will, you know, we will meet the Lord in the air, but don't, uh, you know, there's so much in scripture that the thing that's taken is not the one that you want to be. So just tread cautiously there. But the terrors would not be interested in discussing this stuff either. But it doesn't matter because you're in the field. So you're, you're casting this word out, you know, 
the terrorists are going to hear it and it probably will fall on deaf ears and that's okay because there are other ears behind it that are not deaf it, the, the wheat's out there uh, matthew 22 one starting in verse one it said and jesus answered and spake unto them again by parables and said the kingdom of heaven is come or the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king which made a marriage for his son and sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding, but they would not come. And again, he sent forth other servants saying, tell them which are bidden. Behold, I've prepared my dinner. The ox and the fatlings are killed and all the things are ready. Come unto the marriage. And they made light of it and went their ways, one to his farm and other to his merchandise. And the remnant took his servants and entreated them spitefully and slew them. But when the king heard this thereof, he was wroth. And he sent forth his army and destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. And he saith unto his servants, the wedding is ready, but they that which were bidden are not worthy. Go therefore into the highways and it, as many as you shall find bid to the marriage. So those servants went out of the highways and gathered together all that they found, both bad and good. And the wedding was furnished with guests. And the king came to see his guests and he saw there a man which had not, not on a wedding garment. And he saith unto him, friend, how came thou in here without having a wedding garment. And he was speechless. And then the king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot and take him away and cast him into the outer darkness for there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. So we've been talking about the Gentile bride and the, you know, she's the, she becomes the bride of the son of the father. And she comes from, uh, She's taken out of her, her home. She leaves her family and her friends and the land of her nativity and all that stuff. And this is just another place where we see that picture. You know, these are the, these are the people on the highways and the byways. These are not, you know, they're taken, they're, they're not home because they're on the highways and the byways. They're taken and brought into the wedding feast and they're not Jews. The Jews have, have rejected the Messiah. They rejected the son of the father at the wedding feast and they, they, they will miss it. So if we're talking about um, a pre-trib rapture or we're talking about, uh, you know, th those sorts of things, this is just another one of those pictures that the, the whole purpose of this seven-year tribulation of the book of Revelation is, is to get the Jews, the ones who rejected this, who, who had better things to do at home, who didn't want to come to the wedding feast of the son of the father, it's to get them to want to come to the wedding feast of the Son of the Father. And so our purpose is, uh, is, is to be that, that group, this group, that's at the wedding feast. It's the, it's the group that, rapture-wise speaking, is snatched up. It's not the people of God. I mean, it, that's not right. It's, it's, not, it's not God's chosen people. He had designed it so that the Jews would fulfill all that he had. He would obey his instructions and statutes and judgments. And the way they lived and act and thought would be uh, uh, an inspiration to the countries around them. And that that would, would sweep over the world and everybody would see the goodness of the God of Israel. And that did not happen. <laughs> So he, and, and, and I say he did it, you know, he, he changed plans. He knew from the beginning that it was not going to happen. That's not a mystery. So he knew from the beginning he was going to select the Gentile bride to come marry the son of the father and all that stuff. So again, tie this all into 
what do I do? I see these things coming. I know this. I've read the book. The book is clear on what this one world government, totalitarian, cashless, godless regime is coming. It's going to look a lot like China today, in fact. Cameras everywhere and AI controlling everything. And, um, you know, in China and Russia and Venezuela and, you know, any country that runs like that is apolitical. There's no de Democrats and Republicans. There is just, you know, the government. And Xi Jinping, I guess, and I haven't checked this out yet. Usually I tell you stuff I've checked out. But I've heard that he's been taking down pictures of God wherever he could find them and, and commanding people to worship him instead of God because the government is your, is, you know, is your God. We provide for you. We do all these things. Well, that's the exact picture the Bible described. And we live in America and we think, well, that'll never happen here. And it's happening. It's coming fast. And it's going to be just like it is in China. You know, is Xi Jinping the Antichrist? I doubt it. I don't think he's high enough on the food scale there. Same thing in Russia. You know, you've got uh, Putin and he's now president for life, just like Xi Jinping is and the guy in Venezuela and several other places. Is he the Antichrist? I doubt it. I don't think he's high enough up the scale. I think there's people, but maybe, I don't know, but I suspect there's people pulling the strings of all those guys, but that's what the world's going to look like. And we live, I mean, look where we live. It's awesome. You know, I, it, the, the, the world doesn't affect us and we tend to ignore the things that are happening in the world. And I think we ignore it to our peril and we certainly ignore it to the peril of those that we should be watching over. If we're going to be the watchman, we have to call it and we have to call it right. You know, not exactly every detail, you know, but we have, we ha we have to tell them stuff is happening and point them to the word and say, look, this is what the Bible says. This is no joke. We live here and we don't see it, but we don't live in Portland or Seattle or Washington, DC, where they do see it. They get, they're getting some glimpse of what their world is going to look like and what our world is going to look like. And if you don't want that world, then you need to embrace the teachings of the Lord, and you need to join him fast, because I think the rapture is imminent. And if I'm wrong, and in six years we're still here, I'm sorry, and I will admit that I'm wrong, but I will still be watching, and there will be stuff out there to watch for. And I'd rather be wrong than not say anything. And I would hope that, you know, some of you who I talk to people every day and I get, a, you know, a fair amount of interest. And to me, it's fun. And I recognize that to some people, it's, it's not fun. It's a burden and they're, they don't, I don't think they're good at it. And the ones who don't think they're good at it are often the best ones because it's sincere. You know, when it comes from me, it's like a wave that just knocked you down and it takes people time to think it through. And, you know, they don't really want to hear it anymore. <laughs> I'll call somebody else next time because this is just too much. So everybody has a little different approach. And anyway, many are called and few are chosen. Um, you've heard the joke about the flood coming, you know, in the Mississippi and the water's rising and the people in the house, you know, the water comes to the first floor and they go to the second floor and it's up on the second floor and they go to the third floor and it gets up to the third floor and they go on the roof and a boat comes by. You know, I say, well, get on, get on, we'll take you. No, no, God's going to save me. 
Okay, so it's going up the roof and they're moving to the peak and the boat comes by. It's like, get on, get on, we'll save you. No, 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 the Lord's going to save us. And then it gets up to, you know, gets up to the top of the roof and they're all huddled together on the, on the chimney and a helicopter comes down. He says, get on, get on, we'll save you. And he says, no, no, the Lord's going to save me. And the water draws, you know, keeps going up and they drown. So they get to heaven and he says to God, well, why didn't you save us? He says, what are you talking about? I sent you two boats and a helicopter. You know, and that's... That's, I mean, it's a joke, right? But, but it's true. There are some people that live that, oh, God's going to, you know, and I suggest to you that there is a part we have to play. And that goes back to, you know, the idea of a watchman and it goes back to the idea of the sower and all of those things. And there's, I mean, I, I have, I kid you not, nine pages of notes from this. And, you know, but, and I've got all kinds of other verses on here. Um, but you get the, the general gist of it. I think there's um, there's a part we have to play, and I don't don't think I'm making too big a deal out of it. And I will continue to look for ways to, you know, to I don't know to prepare for as much as we can. And I recognize there isn't. I mean, it's it's a supernatural event. I'm not going to fight it. I'm not going to overcome it but I can prepare for it. I can be that guy on the wall saying it's coming, grab your sword. You know, the food's over there, the water's over there. What, what, you know, whatever, I don't know, whatever the Lord puts on your heart. And it would be different for every person in every city and every place. Cause we don't struggle with a lot of things that they're going to struggle with in cities. And, you know, the food will be cut off. And in a place like New York or Seattle or Portland in 12 hours, there will be no food. If they shut it down, there's no food. There's no, there's no hope of getting it because you can't get out of the city. There's no way to get out of the city. There's no gas. The roads are closed. The electricity's down. The stores are ripped bare. What do you do? I mean, that's a totally different deal than up here. You know, you just go out there and get yourself a deer. But the river's right over there. You know, a few bullets and a water purifier and you're good, right? We can, it's a completely different thing. So each of us has to think about what it is well, each of us has to think about first, even if there is anything you want to do about it, because it doesn't mean you're not going to get raptured. You know, if you, if you don't believe in this stuff and you just want to sit there and bury your talent and stuff, I suggest that, you know, you still go. <laughs> I don't know that it's a salvation issue, but how much, how much use are you to the, to the master, to the kingdom, to the, to his people? And that's what I would, hope that we would pray about and think about and and seriously look at the things that we have and seriously consider uh, what to do with them. You know, we, we partially bought this house 15 years ago, knowing that the kids would be gone because when we bought this house, we had, you know, a house full of kids, um, which is only two, but it was still a house full. Um, it's a big house. And when we were just living here by ourselves after the kids were gone, it's like, why are we in this big house? And the, the answer was clear because you're going to need it, you know, and I still think that may be true. We're going to need it because if it's me and if it was just up to me, I would sell this house tomorrow, sell my business tomorrow, and I would move to, you know, buy a hundred acres somewhere as far away as I could get from anybody. And I would live that way. And then I consider, uh, well, how is that helping God's kingdom? It's not, it's helping me. And if it's just helping me, then I don't think that's what the Lord would want. So we're still here <laughs> and we'll, you know, we'll,
probably be here to the bitter end until unless you know he's he sends another series of uh and i'm assuming this was him i don't know uh if he sends me another series of things and says no 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 you need to sell everything and and you know i don't know i'm still looking just in case he said says that and i'll be ready to go in a heartbeat <laughs> but that would be my heart i would i would do that if it was left up to me but i don't want to be I don't want to be the guy that chooses that. I want him to be the guy that chooses that. So anyway, that's all I have. Well, that's not all I have, but that's all you're going to get tonight. So.